Previously on Mafia. Genovese soldier Joe Valacci had been in the mob all his life, but had never risen in ranks. Within the Mafia organizational structure, there are family bosses, and then beneath them, there are underbosses. Despite the fact that in the 1950s, Valachi had been in the Mafia for over 20 years, he was still just a button man and a crew. He hadn't risen very far. But when his prison sentence rose from 15 years to life, he decided to make an offer, and the FBI couldn't refuse. Suddenly, here comes along this serendipitous windfall, this two-bit mobster, who can tell him at least what it's like to be in the trenches for the mob, how you become a mafioso. He knew about all these things. It was the first time anyone could pull back the curtain. This is Mafia. In October 1963, Joe Valachi was getting ready to appear as a star witness for hearings against the Mafia. He would be giving first-hand accounts of life as a Mafia hitman. The hearings were broadcast across the country and became a national event. Ronald Goldstock is a former FBI agent. Oh, I, I think absolutely it was important for the country. First of all, you know, here he was on television, uh, pointing to charts, giving the names of people, um, and, and it allowed people, you know, the United States is a new country. We don't have mythology the way older countries had. We had cowboys and Indians, and we had racketeers. And, and so this was a, a way for people within the country to look at all those movies that they had seen before about the underworld and articles they had seen in the newspapers about Luciano and, and put it all together. And I think the public was fascinated by it. Meanwhile, the Mafia Capos watched with dread as Valachi revealed their secrets to the world. The nation's underworld gets the unwelcome spotlight of publicity as the Senate's investigation subcommittee begins new hearings on crime. Arkansas Senator John McClellan is at the helm. Attorney General Robert Kennedy paints a grim picture under the rise of lawlessness of Cosa Nostra or Mafia. This he describes as the government of organized gambling, narcotics, peddling, extortion, and controlling of certain trade unions. He says the income runs into the billions. In the hearings, known as the Valachi or McClellan hearings, Attorney General Robert Kennedy took the helm. He had been the one to recognize Valachi as an asset, and Valachi soon proved his worth. Well, gentlemen, as you know, we have brought to Queens County this morning the witness Joe Valachi. We are determined to expose every facet of his testimony and to pursue this thing as far as we possibly can. Uh, does he seem worried at all? I wouldn't say he was worried. I think the man is naturally under all of the circumstances nervous and a bit upset. But beyond that, he's a good witness. What Valachi revealed was the structure of the mob. The fact that it was Cosa Nostra, the fact that it was different than the Mafia, the fact that there were families and families existed in various places around the country. He certainly didn't know all of them. 
Uh, in fact, when he was asked by the senator from Nebraska whether or not there was organized crime in Omaha, he sort of leaned over, talked to his lawyer, and everybody in Omaha was, just, what does he know? And he was just asking what Omaha was and where it was. But despite his gaps in knowledge, Valachi spelled out details that only a real mafioso would know. As the hearings got underway, he was asked why he murdered another inmate in Atlanta prison. Why did you decide to kill him at that time, at that spot? Because he was the guy I spotted at the time. In other words, I felt that was my last day. In plain English, Senator, I felt that was my last day. You thought it would be your last day? That I would be alive. Well, did you feel you could get all them before they could get you? I don't know what I would have done if I don't see him. See, I can't answer you what I would have done. In other words, you felt helpless and surrounded and you decided to strike when you could? When I saw him, yeah. You thought if you killed this man, who you thought was going to kill you anyway? I got some satisfaction, Senator. Put it that way. You got some satisfaction. The audience sympathized with Valachi to a point. Despite all the fervor surrounding the public event, Valachi's testimony was often a stark reminder that he was a cold-blooded killer. But the public watched hungrily as Valachi began to reveal the secrets of the Mafia. What is the name of it? Cosa Nostra in Italian. Cosa Nostra in Italian. Our thing and our family in English. Our thing and our family in English. Former NYPD detective Joe Coffey. The the number one thing that that Joe Valachi revealed to law enforcement and to the people in charge of this country was the structure of the Mafia the history of the Mafia. He had a vast knowledge of it. And he was the one who exposed it all. The families, the names of the people, the levels of uh, authority, starting with the Capo de Tutti Capi, to the underboss, to the consigliere, to the capos, down to the soldiers, and to the acquaintances, right? There were acquaintances who couldn't be made because they weren't Italian. They have a lot of associates who are, who are Jewish or Irish or whatever they are, or Greeks who are all mobsters, they can't be members because they're not Italian. So he gave us that whole structure. Valachi continued, revealing to the Senate committee the Mafia's blood and fire initiation ceremony. In the ceremony, Valachi was forced to vow that he would live by the gun and by the knife. Do you have a full understanding of what that meant at the time? Yes, I did. It meant that you was what? Well, I expect to die by the gun and by the knife. In other words, when you took that oath, you expected someday to die either by the gun or by the knife? Right. That's what you're dedicating yourself to. Right. Valachi also spoke about a strange initiation ritual, where he was told to make a cup with his hands. Paper was placed inside and set alight. He was told that he would burn like the paper if he betrayed the secrets of the Cosa Nostra. Valachi was under no illusions. After the initiation ritual, he was to truly be part of this family. And there was no way out. All right, then what happened? And they all shake hands. Everybody gets up and all shake hands and say a few words together, which I can't recall. They also said in uh, Sicilian. Do you know what they meant? I never bothered to find out what it meant, but I have an idea what it meant. Well, you had an idea. What was your idea? All tied up. We're all tied up. We're all together? We're all together. All of a sudden, everything that they had been saying, that there was no national organization, um, that 
crime was essentially local and it was for local law enforcement to deal with um, became obviously incorrect. Um, you had people from around the country identified, put before a grand jury, gave different stories of why they were there, were prosecuted uh, for conspiracy uh, to engage in obstruction. Um, that was it for the FBI. I mean, if there was a moment where it was absolutely patently clear that they had a role to do that they had not been performing, that was it. Valachi's revelations also explained why this secret organization had managed to remain hidden for so long. Anyone who squealed would pay the ultimate price. There were also rules like omerta, silence, um, not testifying against anybody else. Obviously, if you have a secret society, you can't testify, or you can't mention the existence of the mob. Fear had preserved the silence for 30 years, and Valachi had now broken that silence forever. Yes, Senator, can I say something, Senator? Yes. As to what I'm telling you now, I need to go no further than to say nothing else. This here, what I'm telling you, what I'm exposing to you and the press and everybody, this is my doom. This is a promise I'm breaking. I should never talk about this and I'm doing so. Valachi named the present leaders of the five New York families, Vito Genovese, Carlo Gambino, Giuseppe Magliocco, Joseph Bonanno, and Gaetano Lucchese. Valachi then revealed the names of over 130 members of the Genovese crime family and other New York families. Five large charts sat behind Valachi, each one detailing which mobster was connected to each family. The charts explained how each boss could have up to 500 soldiers. For those you've been able to identify in the five families you've marked with stars up on these charts. Yes. The others that are not on the charts, you know them by aliases, and you didn't know their other name? Right. Valachi even used his testimony to get back at Genovese. He told senators that the mob boss controlled not just the Genovese family, but the Gambino and Lucchese families. I think you might at this time grant us, just for a moment, to tell how much power how much authority the boss like Genovese has over the family, over the soldier members like you. Senator, I happen to know Vito's power. He not only has the power in our family, he also controls the power in the Gambino family and the Lucchese family. In other words, his word becomes law? Right, right. Does he pass out death sentences? Well, he passes them out and then they tell you. Well, he was a rat. He was this. They tell you anything they want to tell you. He passes them out? Right. But the mob would not sit idly by as their secrets were revealed on national television. Valachi's direct boss, Vito Genovese, had placed a $100,000 bounty on Valachi's head. Selwyn Rabb, author of Five Families. The mob, of course, was horrified. The leaders were horrified by what he, had, uh, what he was going to do and by his testimony. And they knew before even he testified that he was going on the witness stand. The FBI was leaking stories and the Justice Department were trying to turn him into an instant sensation. They put out a contract on him. And uh, you know, in the past they had been able to reach people in prison and kill them. And they thought somehow if they offered enough money, a couple of hundred thousand dollars, somebody would be willing to try to bump them off. Now there were real fears of a direct attack on the Senate hearings. 
A bomb had been placed in the courtroom the morning of Valachi's testimony, and there had also been men caught trying to enter the courtroom with guns, apparently to assassinate Valachi. What can you tell us about this threat, Jim? Well, over the weekend, we received information from the FBI that their information was the effect that a bomb had been placed in the room this morning, and also that there might be one or two, one of several persons here with guns who would attempt to assassinate the witness. There's supposedly a report that someone is trying to shoot you or put a bomb in here or something. Where did you get that? I don't know anything about that. How do you feel about it? I'm in the same position from the beginning. I'm hot from the beginning. You understand what I mean? Don't make any difference. Valachi's testimony was a goldmine. He confirmed many things that the FBI already had an idea of, but never in such detail. Above all... Valachi's testimony gave the FBI a change in their priorities. The FBI office in New York increased the number of organized crime agents from 4 to 140. Former assistant director at the FBI, Steve Pomerantz. So I remember as a young agent, as a young organized crime agent in the early 1970s, that we did all, just all over the country, we did wiretaps of the, of the in, interstate gambling operations that flourished and were controlled by the mafia all across the country. And we made thousands of arrests and broke up hundreds of large gambling combines in an effort to to choke off the flow uh, of one of their great sources of money. From doing that, we learned again, we began to learn the structure, we began to see how to develop informants uh, in the mafia. Thanks to Valachi's revelations, the FBI's campaign against the Mafia progressed to a new level. Critically, for Attorney General Robert Kennedy, it was just the beginning. The only problem was a month after uh, Valachi's testimony, John Kennedy was assassinated in November of 1963, and Bobby Kennedy left as Attorney General, and the impetus went out again. The new Attorney General relegated the Mafia again to a backwater problem nothing really essential, and uh, Hoover was able, once again, to say whatever, you know, to call the shots. And he investigated what he wanted to investigate, and he was still reluctant to go all out. Despite the setback, two new laws were passed that allowed the FBI to start to crack down on organized crime. First, they implemented the RICO Act. The new law allowed prosecutions and civil penalties for ongoing racketeering activity. They didn't have to catch someone in the act to link them to the mafia. RICO, the RICO statute was enacted by the Congress in the early 70s. It stands for Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organization. It's a statute in Title 18 of the U.S. Code. And the reason for that thing being put together by Ron Goldstein and Bob Blakey was to have a weapon to use against organized crime in this country. And it's very effective. It was enacted in the early 70s, but it really wasn't used till the late 70s. In the RICO statute that gave us the ability not only to arrest people and lock them up, uh, but to take out the the real guts of the operation, to to take the ill-gotten gains away from them, to dismantle the businesses and, and the organizations that they had built up. Before that, by arresting a mafia leader, what we essentially did was create upward mobility for the person behind them. Second. Electronic surveillance quickly became a useful tool. The feds were now legally allowed to use wiretapping and present that as evidence in court. 
all of a sudden the FBI with its uh, wiretapped authority um, and with its informants and with the RICO statute started moving heavily into this area. They give information about where to place the taps and bugs. You start using the electronic surveillance authority effectively. You get more and more information which allows for RICO prosecutions, which allows for harsher sentencing, which means more informants, which means more information, which means more RICO prosecutions. And so this movement starts gaining um, power and, and effectiveness. Joe Valachi was returned to the relative comfort of the District of Columbia jail in Washington. But Kennedy believed Valachi had more to offer. The question after Valachi testified is, what does the Justice Department do with him? Can't send him back to Atlanta. You have to somehow treat him. But um, Bobby Kennedy realized that there was a gold mine in him. So what he did was he said, why don't you write your memoir, everything you can remember. The FBI always claims, or the Justice Department always claims, that whoever switches sides has impregnable memory, remembers all little details. Okay, so uh, Valachi sits down and writes uh, over a thousand pages in, in handwritten about what his life was, his whole, his memoir, his life story, everything he remembers about the mafia. Over 13 months, Valachi painstakingly produced more than 300,000 words on notepads from his cell in Washington. But Valachi's memoir was no literary masterpiece. What is the, um, it, it's, unpu it's unprintable, it's unpublishable, it's unreadable probably. So the FBI, uh, eventually, uh, the Justice Department got a, a writer, Peter Mass, to sit down, use the memoir, and also discuss uh, Valachi's life with him and put out a, a book that was readable. The Justice Department hoped the memoir would encourage other informers to come forward. But the book would not see the light of day for a while longer. An Italian-American newspaper, Il Progresso, complained that Valachi's book unfairly linked the Italian-American community with the mafia. Il Progresso's campaign was successful. But the testimony had a lasting impact. Although Valachi was the first one to speak out, he wasn't the last one. The break of Omerta encouraged others to do the same. But you had Valachi for the first time testifying, and then, now this has had been 30 years before anybody within the mob testified. And Valachi was looked at as a rat and a stoolie and somebody undeserving of respect. But shortly, within 10 years after that, you had the second person. And then you started getting Joe Bonanno, one of the heads of the original families, writing a book. Um, you had Jimmy Fratiano writing a book, calling himself the last mafiosa. Everybody else is undeserving of respect, but he who writes a book about it is the one who is, uh, should be a, a member of the Honored Society, the name of Bonanno's book. Um, and then you get more people cooperating. Meanwhile, Kennedy started making plans to reward Valachi for his cooperation. Bobby Kennedy had some wild scheme that maybe he could find a girlfriend or bring uh, Valachi's wife and put him on some desert island where he could live out the rest of his life. But that was impossible. And he still had a sentence for murdering that uh, fellow convict, the wrong man in Atlanta. Overnight, everything changed for Valachi. He was placed back into the federal prison system 
where he was to spend the rest of his sentence in solitary confinement. Palacci had a rough time even under uh, uh, the aegis of being a, a privileged prisoner. Uh, there was a streak of mental uh, problems in his family, and he tried to commit suicide shortly after he testified by hanging himself. The Justice Department soon realized that they had to take better care of their prize witness. So what they did was, they took him out of the unpleasant northern prisons, they sent him to what they considered uh, the best place for him. He had a lot of uh, arthritis and other problems, a warmer climate, a place called La Tuna, near the Mexican border in, ten in Texas. And they even provided a sort of primitive system of air conditioning for water coolers for him, and they gave him a suite where he had a uh, kitchenette and he had a better, more comfortable bed. They tried to make life as convenient, as convenient and comfortable as possible. And one of his legacies was, whenever the Justice Department now gets a real top-notch defector, they send him to what is called the Valachi Suite in that Texas prison. So at least he has some, uh, some comfort that he wouldn't get in any of the other uh, prisons that the FBI can send you to. The Valachi hearings became a success story in how much it helped the FBI take on the Mafia. But many years later, there are still a lot of questions raised about how genuine the testimony was. Joe Valachi was a low-level thug. Um, and he came in and he's the one who started the whole thing with the charts and the names and all that stuff. But he was dumb as dirt, this guy. You know, he really was. Valachi was known as a man who was not especially bright. There is speculation that the FBI gave him a lot of coaching and even told him what to say. I think that uh, uh, Valachi was coached and submitted to um, um, FBI direction in his testimony. The federal narcotic agents that I know have led me to believe that through their, you know, what they have told me about um, uh, um, the uh, importance and the effect of Valachi's testimony. Now, did they feed him names? I think the answer is probably yes, but not in the sense of saying, okay, here are these names, you say they belong to so-and-so. Um, frequently, people in the mob and in other areas of criminal activity know others by nicknames. Um, they may know their faces, and, uh, but they don't know their actual names. So to the extent that we now had law enforcement had their actual names, he probably learned that for the first time. Five years after he had given away the Mafia's secrets to the world, the memoir was released, and Valachi finally got to read the book based on his life. It was called The Valachi Papers, and it became a bestseller. Valachi never received a penny from it. He died of a heart attack in 1971 at Latuna Federal Correctional Institution in Texas. He outlived his Mafia boss, Vito Genovese, by two years. But the media attention of the memoir and the hearings put a spotlight on the murky world of the American Mafia, and it would never be the same again. So there's no, no question, he was the first really important cog in bringing down and destroying, or at least wounding the Mafia in America. Without him, it might have taken another 15, 20 years, because there were no defectors, and he was the first and at that time, the only defector 
even though he was low-ranking, he still knew enough to sensationalize his story and to get the public really, if, not, if only briefly, alerted and warned about the threat of the Mafia. What's happening to, uh, with the mob? Well, you know, the mob is essentially unrecognizable. I mean, when I started in the Rackets Bureau Manhattan DA's office in 1969, um, it was extraordinary to even think about getting a mob figure, much less somebody in the hierarchy of the mob. In the next episode, Joe Colombo made mafia history by becoming the youngest boss and having the family renamed after him. And if you were a capo and you were in charge of uh, construction, everybody had to kick money to you or you would shut down the job. If you were in charge of uh, uh, gambling and loan sharking, they all got a percentage of how much money you had out there on the street. With his new power, Colombo decided to break a cardinal rule and wage a war with the FBI. I think he felt that if the timing were right and he could get Italians, Americans on their side and if pressure could be put on the FBI, because it was to some extent a political institution at the time, um, he could stop them from moving ahead. And he took a shot. Um, and for a while it looked like it was brilliant. Uh, he might have succeeded. Um, and then, of course, it was a total and abject failure. But instead of guns, Colombo went a more civil route and became known as the Mafia Activist. So he began picketing FBI headquarters, which was then on the Upper East Side. And he decided to proclaim himself a civil rights leader because that was fashionable at the time. So Colombo, with the remnants of the old Profaci family, organized a giant civil rights demonstration here in New York that was very successful. Drew huge crowds uh, up to Columbus Circle. This has been an Audio Boom and World Media Rights co-production, hosted by me, Fleet Cooper. It is produced by Audio Boom's Rachel Jacobs, Blair Payton, Casey Georgie, and Karen Bevan, and Pascal Hughes for World Media Rights. We had additional production help from World Media Rights by Gerald Zabingwa and James Tyndale. David McNabb is the series' creative director. And the executive producers for Audio Boom are Brendan Regan and Stuart Last. Voiceovers by Spike Siegel, Blair Payton, Eric Heiss, and Thomas Mancusi. Thanks to Upstart and Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Follow Mafia on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. We'll be taking a break for the new year, but we'll be back in 2020 with more of Mafia.